Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, uh, fresh from actually getting to see each other a little bit and watch real live basketball together, Eric Green. What's up, man? Not too much. Uh, good to see you virtually after seeing you in person. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was still summer league basketball, but it was nice to nice to see some basketball in front of my uh, face holes. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a curmudgeonly Eric Kareem question. Yeah. After 17 or 18 months of not seeing people much and not socializing much and not being in crowds um, and then being basically um, immersion therapy with a, a week in Vegas, are you done with people for a little bit already? Um, I'm done. I'm done more with crowds than I'm done with people. I, I think like the I don't know how you felt, but the most stressful part of it were was for me was like just being in the arena and finding where to go and being in the airport and being on an airplane and that's just it's just you know too many people, not enough space and it's so many especially with this with summer league like this is their first major in-person thing that they they they're, that they've done there was there were some reporters that have at the finals but uh I, I would say probably a lot fewer and this they were just getting their feet under them and, and I, they did the best they could and it was most it mostly worked pretty well but I just I felt anxiety, and so if we can fast forward to a place where everything is running a bit more seamlessly, we know the protocols a bit better, everybody knows the protocols a bit better, uh, that's fine. But the people themselves didn't, like, people on an individual basis did not bother me as much as maybe I was expecting. That's good. It's, uh, it was tough. It's, a, like you said, you laid it all out, it's a little weird. Um, you know, the crowd stuff... Look, I returned a negative test before I went, returned a negative test before we flew back, got randomly selected. I, I wanted to do a test when I got back anyway, yeah. but I was randomly selected at the airport, so I didn't even have to arrange it or pay for it or anything. It was beautiful. Um, three negative tests, and that's with, you know, I was at the arena every day, and us as media, we had to be vaccinated to, um, to be in the media access areas, but also... There are a couple thousand people in those arenas and a couple thousand people in those hotels, and um, so it felt good. I have my first Jays game on this coming Saturday, so we'll see where my comfort level is um, being a part of a larger crowd instead of kind of being not that we were isolated as media, but you know that was basically a like a vaccinated only area of yeah. the arena. Um, but anyway, all that was cool. We've had lots of summer league coverage up on the Athletic. Com. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can click off any of those articles for a deal or theathletic.com slash we the six. Uh, we've got a little bit more to come. As these things do, I'm going to break the fourth wall here uh, in honor of all these CM Punk rumors of late. Um, while we're at Summer League, or, or me specifically, this is my fifth one, it's sometimes tough to balance like, you're reporting stuff and you're having conversations and you're doing interviews and you want to focus on the games because even though the results don't matter that much, you know, that's what people are hungry for. How does Scotty Barnes look? How does David Johnson look? Stuff like that. Um, and then from the, the kind of feature side, there's this weird in-between of like you want to give these features ample time and, and like talk to more people, but also 
there's an awareness that people might not be super interested in some of these names after Summer League. And then there's also the element of, well, we have six weeks until training camp to, of content to fill. Um, all of that is to say, I think we have some fun feature stuff coming down the pipe, coming out of Summer League. And of course, we'll have a, we'll have a recap of the Summer League as a whole, Tuesday night's finale against the Brooklyn Nets. And then, uh, you know, there's some other Raptors going on this week. So let's start with that. We haven't talked to the people since July 30th, which was a post-draft podcast. Our apologies for that, but everything kind of happened rapid fire with the Kyle stuff, the Masai stuff, the waiting on the details of Kyle yeah. stuff, me forgetting my mic in Ve- to Vegas. I didn't have it either. I, what The real problem was everything happened slowly at first, and we were sort of wanting the details. So we Yeah, could, what are we going to do? Do a Kyle yeah. Lowry got traded podcast without like, knowing what he got traded for? And like uh, both of us could, you know, fill time talking about our favorite Kyle Lowry memories, but I think over the course of this podcast, and, and we assume that everybody listening to this is a full Raptors reasonablest completist, uh, um, you know, everybody knows the great Kyle moment. So until we do exactly what we're talking about in terms of what's coming back, how it's working, we didn't see much need to, or, or we didn't see a huge upside in talking to you guys because the last thing we'd want to do to an already uh, antsy fan base is make that a bit Ansier, and I think that would have been the danger of doing it before all of the details were in. Yes, so as it was, we went 17 days between podcasts. Uh, oops, our apologies. So let's quickly recap what's happened before we talk some Summer League takeaways. Let's start with the good news. Masai Ujiri's back. Signed a, a multi-year contract to stay with the Raptors as president and vice chairman. Um, you know, one of only two people in the league now with decision-making authority on the basketball side and that vice chairman title. Um, the Hornets have have one as well. Um, so a pretty nice nod to the level of his partnership with Larry Tannenbaum and the organization. You know, I, I thought, I personally thought the longer this went on, the likelier it was he would stay, which is maybe like backward, but you know, you don't hear any other options or, or any other possibilities being floated for a while, and he's still operating in the job after the expiration of his contract. Um, you know, I thought this is where where that was going. Probably, how do you feel about it? You know, I, I think there's obviously the short term exhale of he's not going anywhere and he's not going to a competitor certainly, but take a step back and what does this mean in terms of the long term? I guess long-term security of the Raptors as a well-managed franchise and the long-term vision of, you know, where where this group is headed from here. Well, I think if you were to allow the Raptor, Raptors fans to control one thing that happened this offseason, the whatever it is, and like within realism, you know, not Kawhi opting out and coming to the Raptors, but of the realistic things in play, this would have been the overwhelming choice for things the thing most fans would have liked to see happen. And uh, if he had left, there certainly would have been a... And Bobby Webster alluded to it uh, when he first spoke to us. It would have been like two icons leaving back-to-back and Kyle Lowry and Masai Ujiri. Um, Masai, more than anything, from my perspective, gives the Raptors a powerful enough voice within the larger framework not necessarily within the NBA, although that's true to an extent, but more so in the MLSE. 
framework because you could tell by what he was saying uh, in terms of having a lot of asks on what his conversations with MLSE were going to be like. He was basically saying, I want to know I have the support to do whatever I see fit for this basketball team. And we can quibble with what Masai has done here, the, here and there, but A, he's the guy who built the team who uh, that won the championship, and B, he's a future-minded executive who thinks big. And so I think from a Raptors fan perspective, you have to be thinking that this is great news that MLSE sees the value in somebody who's not going to hesitate to push the limits. And, and again, that doesn't guarantee success. We look at where the Raptors are right now and, you know, some cynics could say that's proof that it doesn't guarantee success. <laughs> uh, and we'll get to that in a bit. But overall, I think it was the most important thing to happen. Would have loved for it to happen a year ago. Uh, but this is when it happened. And uh, I don't think I, I, I think it's a it's a good thing for the organization, for sure. For sure. It was, you know, we, we line this up as this was the A1 thing of the offseason, um, you know, assuming that the Kyle Lowry stuff had already, the, those discussions had already happened. And, of course, that wasn't true. The Miami Heat would have never talked to Kyle Lowry before that August 2nd, uh, 6 p.m. marker. By the way, I think that investigation's still ongoing. I don't know how it takes this long, especially now that Masai's off of BlackBerry. Like, like that would have been, the, that's the easy joke before, that, like, they don't know how to subpoena BlackBerry records. Um, but now he's uh, he's switched over, so. Um, by the way, I saw a couple times during Summer League, this is unrelated to anything other than I sometimes post that photo of Bobby Webster holding two <laughs> phones up to his ear. He has two phones in his hand constantly. Uh... It's it's remarkable. You don't think of that as being an executive thing, other than the Joe Dumars meme on Twitter. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, look, got to make deals. Sometimes you got to make multiple de deals at a time. So I, it always leads me to thinking about the scene at Moneyball where uh, Brad uh, Pitt as Billy Bean is just calling each executive one after another. But maybe Bobby doesn't have time for that. Maybe it's. You know, he puts people on hold uh, on one phone and goes to the next, and then he forgets who's on which which phone, and hijinks ensue. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Lowry accidentally ends up in New Orleans. <laughs> What's going on here? Kyle Lowry ended up in Miami. Um, the big story note from the Raptors offseason, other than Masai, is that they use their time and flexibility to help facilitate a Lowry move to Miami. Now, from Miami's side, why they wanted to do this by sign-and-trade is very straightforward. It helped them retain some of their free agents. It helped them um, keep the full mid-level available, which they used on P.J. Tucker. Uh, you know, they were able to tiptoe in a way that you couldn't if you had to clear all your space out for Lowry. To do, to do that, they were willing to part with Precious Achua. Um, Goran Dragic had a $19.4 million player or team option rather that the Heat picked up and they needed that to make salary math work on a Lowry deal. 
the Raptors didn't necessarily need Drogic back, and we had a lot of discussions about you know potentially rerouting him to Dallas or New Orleans or, or basically all the places yeah. that didn't get Kyle. And that's um, why you're hearing this podcast now, as opposed to yes. uh, as opposed to two weeks ago. Or yes, it we was could have that. been breaking down you know Trey Burke or Willie Cauley yeah. Stein for you here. Uh, so it ends up being Drogic and Precious Achua for Lowry, which kind of as a secondary effect means that the Raptors spent the cap flexibility that they've been building over the last two years on... Now, you could phrase this a couple different ways. You could phrase it as they use that cap flexibility to take on Goran Dragic, or you could frame it as they use that cap flexibility to get three years of Precious Achua at under $10 million total, and Dragic is a cost of that transaction. So depending on how you feel about Achua, depending on how you feel about you know using cap space to secure an asset versus just signing a guy you know you might have a different perspective on that i i guess my my ire with it is that they spent all this time building up that flexibility and, and part of the draw with gary trent was the low cap hold and ken birch was already earmarked for the mid-level and, and like you could have carved your way to cap space had you just let lowry walk having said that i don't know if three years and ten million dollars total for precious achua is a worse deal than what you might have spent that money on on a free agent and you probably also you know depending on the guy and the target you might have had to cut chris boucher you might have had to cut yuta watanabe uh to get into that space so um you know and if we assume that the Cavs were going to match if you pushed up the price on jared allen and i guess the raptors weren't interested in rashawn holmes because they still could have made that work they could have found a way to that um yeah, where are you at on the the Lowry sequence of moves? We'll talk. We'll talk the Birch and Trent moves um, after. But where are you at on just the Lowry part of this? Yeah, season? like you, it's a bit frustrating. From a, and I think a lot of fans are feeling it too. Like it's not sexy. Like, um, but that was a calculation they made at the trade deadline uh, when they didn't trade him. It's like, well, we and and I don't think they they opted for this route at the trade deadline, but they knew it was an option that there very well could be a path to returning some assets for Lowry, uh, even if they didn't trade him right at the deadline. Uh, I personally might have preferred to see what uh, Rashawn Holmes looked like in a Raptors uniform. I understand the sticker shock, Um that not so much from his contract, but from what happens on the first day of free agency. And, you know, let's assume four years and $60 million for Holmes to come to Toronto. Uh, maybe even the same he got in, in Sacramento, who knows, 455. But I'm not, I can't sit here and say that would be a great deal. Like I, uh, uh, and that means you don't have Achua and, you don't have Drogic to potentially spin into something else. Like, would you be shocked if Drogic got them a low first round pick or a few second round picks at the yeah, trade I deadline? Think, I think a like, couple seconds is maybe likely. More likely, or like, yeah. Yeah. The other option though too, and like the Raptors the Raptors are dancing close to the tax enough that they they might not be able to manage this, but like you look at the Dwight Powell framework with the Mavs, right? And another player would have to come back to make the math work, but you can, like, let's focus on Dwight Powell as the centerpiece of the, the salary ballast. Yeah. Well, he's owed $11 million next year, too, 
And I think only six million of that's guaranteed, but that's still a good chunk of money. And then suddenly you're looking at, were well, you getting, you know, two future seconds for Goran Dragic? Or could you possibly get a late first for Goran Dragic and eat some money next season? Because the Raptors don't figure to have cap space anyway. Yeah. So you can almost preemptively rent out your room under the tax. Yeah. Now that handcuffs you a little bit as you go, you know, as you look at things like trades in the mid-level next year. But it's also a potential way to use Goran Dragic and use the way your cap sheet looks to upgrade the asset you're getting back so my basic takeaway is like they didn't miss out on somebody so amazing uh or a deal so great that this is an unforgivable path where i will ding them a bit is the contracts they did give out to the returning players seem sorry to... can we can we stay on yeah. the other topic before we get to the returners i just the big loss here is uh, the con the fans of Raptors content who, you know, everyone's been missing How Hungry Are You? And I will now not get to do my video series with Rashawn Holmes where we binge watch HGTV and the series is called Homes on Homes on Homes. <laughs> Big loss. Yeah. Uh, Big loss. That, that, right, the, the elevator pitch is just yeah. chef's Was it chef's. worth interrupting you for? Yeah. Probably. Um, um, so, but, yes, the, the guys the Raptors signed, and this is where, you know, you and I, before these deals came down, we co-wrote a thing, and I kind of pulled some data about, you know, this front office has been remarkably successful in the draft, um, more so than pretty much any other franchise. Like, if you quantify this statistically, during this front office's era, they've returned more value relative to where they picked than any other front office. Um, they've been pretty good in trades you know there are some there are some big ones they've yeah. made like gravis for for a couple picks that became really good pieces and um you know even even flipping john salmons for for lou spare and parts and yeah, yeah lou and bebe and um the Kawhi trade that was good the Kawhi trade of course yeah although i did just talk about i'm on the athletics nba show today the tampering pod and i did identify Keldon Johnson as my pick for breakout player of the year this year. So don't judge that trade yet. <laughs> um, plus uh, they turned tomorrow into a much better package than the Raptors got back for Kyle in a completely different situation. So, yeah. So let's, uh, let's so, kill him for that. Yes. The, this article we worked on together and quantified was basically the Raptors front office has been really good in the draft and trade. They haven't been the sharpest in free agency. Um, that's the case for, a lot of franchises free agency is a less efficient way to build your roster which is why you know normally the best free agent deals are the ones where you can kind of logic your way to the quote-unquote marginal value of wins where sure maybe this guy isn't going to return 15 million dollars worth of value on a standard dollar per win but if he helps you get from place a to place b on the competitive hierarchy then maybe it's worthwhile and this is something that you know, baseball, we've never really been able to bake it into the, the war calculations of the dollar per war. But, like, there's a marginal win curve where, in baseball, the wins that get you from 93 to 95 are way more valuable than the ones that get you from 79 to 81. So the roster construct matters, and the fact that the Raptors have been mostly a capped-out team in the playoffs during Ujiri's tenure colors all this some ways. However, so laying out all of that, there is a pattern of the Raptors 
kind of just shrugging their shoulders and overpaying their own guys. And that came up twice this offseason. You know, we saw it in recent offseasons with they gave Stanley Johnson a player option on a deal well beyond what I think everyone thought he was going to get. They gave Patrick McCaw two years guaranteed at $8 million. Um, Van Vliet has a player option. OG has a player option. Pascal Siakam got 28% of the, of the max instead of 25% of the max. So you see these situations where the Raptors, you know, pretty clearly value taking care of their guys and keeping those relationships strong and not negotiating super hard at the margins with those. And we saw two of those this year in free agency. Gary Trank got three years at 51.8 million. That can go even higher with 250K in incentives each year if he hits them. Player the third, op- year, yeah. third year is a player option. And then they gave Ken Birch a three-year $20 million deal with no team option or partial guarantee or anything that was, you know, probably 15% higher than I think what we thought he was going to get. So those two things together, there's no opportunity cost there necessarily because they had rights on trend and could exceed the cap. They had Birch in a chunk of the mid-level exception. There's opportunity costs in terms of like staying under the tax and what your cap sheet looks like next year and stuff. But really, these are just kind of like minor head scratchers of like, was Gary Trent getting seventeen and a half million a year with a player option somewhere else? Was Kem Birch getting more than the room exception somewhere else? I'm unsure. Yeah, um, with the Trent one in particular, we talked so long about the potential of coming to an agreement early, so they could potentially, you know, renounce him or whatever they were, or renounce the qualifying offer and get the cap uh, hold lower uh, in order to sign a free agent. And so when you look at that initial number, it's like, oh, maybe that's what they're doing here. But no, they don't end up using the cap space. Uh, And the player option on the end, in particular, if he's going to be plus value at any point in that deal, uh, it would be the third year, but if he's in a good position, then the Raptors won't get that third year. And then all of a sudden, they're looking at renegotiating there. Uh, Birch, again, it's like you pointed out. I, I don't think he was getting more than two ten or something, ten over two for from anybody. It was late enough in the, in the process. I think it was official on the Thursday or, or unofficially official on the Thursday. Um, they might have agreed to it uh, in broad strokes, you know, the minute free agency opened, who knows. But it just, it seems like a lot of money for a guy who hasn't, who basically got played out of the rotation uh, for different reasons in Orlando and who looked pretty good. Yeah, I wouldn't say got played out of the rotation. Who was no longer an organizational priority for developmental reasons. Uh, But also not you know, so amazing that he had to stick around either. And that's an age thing. And now he's getting paid like a very good rotation, like like a good rotation player. Um, and if the Raptors get quality starting center minutes out of him, then it's a fine deal, certainly. But yeah, I mean, but look it's just, at- again, what are they, who were they bidding against? And why, I just don't see how that's not a two plus a team option and three. And like you said, we're picking nets here, but it just seems like a that future cost in terms of being able to maybe max out your 
the mid-level or, or max out uh, trade a possibility of a certain trade. Like it just, you don't always want it to just give people more than their their market value is for just to keep things, you know, as liquid as possible, I suppose, as, as movable as possible. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the thing with Trent is like, he's a 22-year-old shooter and there's no... There's no point in this contract in which he won't be a movable contract. But there's also, like, the player option leaves zero room for him to return surplus value. Like, that's it. He'd it's, have to have, like, a, some sensational, sensational growth for that to happen. Yeah, like, he's, you know, I, I'm more, op, I'm rosier on him than John Hollinger's boards was. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's probably, like, a 10 to $12 million player right now. So, that's not that like his path to being worth like 12 million dollars as a 40 percent three-point shooter who takes a ton of them is like that's a really valuable skill you don't have to do a lot to be to be worth something at that you know with that skill set but yeah the rest of the stuff that could push him to being an 18 million dollar player or a 20 million dollar player by 2024 is not there yet so um it'll be interesting to see you know this is obviously his first summer in the raptors developmental system that's kind of the case for Ken Birch, too, even though he's a little bit older as far as prospects go. And then I guess this is the other one that, that's worth talking about from all this is Precious Achua is now going to have a partial offseason in the Raptors development incubator. And we'll use him as kind of a transition to summer league because he has appeared in three summer league games for the Raptors. Um, he's looked pretty spicy. I know I think you missed the Saturday game, right? Um, he looked really good in that one. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a guy there, uh, who again is a little further away and the Raptors are going to try to do this thing that they've been fairly successful with, which is, Hey, you got your top core that's keeping you in the, the competitive games and the competitive Easter conference race. And then your second unit is fun and capable at times, but still developing. Like, I think we're shaping up for something of a bench mob year not in how the pieces fit necessarily but like spiritually like hey we've got a unit of guys here who we believe in longer term and we're gonna let them play through it a little bit because the starters are you know the starters are a 45 win starting group or something like that so um where are you at on precious what, what did you like precious last year before the raptors got him and what were your takes on uh, his first couple uh, summer league games yeah well i only saw his first game uh oh, I was, I was oh okay you missed yeah uh thursday too. yeah he wasn't he wasn't very memorable in that first game he had that nice coast-to-coast layup uh to start things i liked him what from what i saw him of, saw of him last year i thought he was pretty intriguing uh nice athleticism uh that i could see very easily translating into both rim protection and rim running and we even saw with Ken Birch last year when he came in, like what a difference that could make inside the Raptors offense from that spot. Uh, is he, does he ever develop into like a, an above average starting big? I, I mean, I think there's a long path there and a lot of things have to go right, but I think he's, you know, he, his median path takes him to being a, good rotation player and that's certainly not nothing and, and we saw with you know you don't want to p- point to the Kawhi trade because it was such an anomaly 
but it just gives you another piece to either plug it into your roster or plug into a meaningful trade down the line. And if you keep developing these guys to a point where, you know, you can trade three rotation players for a guy who might make a difference at the top of the roster, that's what the Raptors are, you know, quite obviously trying to do. So I like Precious Achua. Uh, I, I think that he will obviously fit in with the way they want to play, uh, fast on offense and, and switchy and, and mobile on defense. Uh, and yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting. And I think like going back to what you pointed out about the bench mob, I think the question becomes, is that starting group really a 45 to 50 win regular season starting group or is it lower uh but that's a a bigger picture conversation we probably don't have time for today yeah because some of us have fancy things to do (laughs) oh yeah my job not me my job yes not me um Um, okay so uh other summer league takeaways i don't want to spoil stuff you have coming but you got to know scotty barnes a little bit uh out in vegas which uh was cool that guy has like this magnetic uh, positivity to him that certainly clashes with your magnetic uh, ennui. Is that how you say that word? I think it's on, on ennui. Uh, ennui. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's uh, so it was the it was the unstoppable force against the object that just doesn't care. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what were your impressions of, like I, on the floor too? But getting to know him a little bit and getting to ask around about him uh, are the vibes as immaculate as they seem on social media? Uh, Like, you don't make a draft pick based entirely on what a guy will mean to your culture or anything like that. (laughs) But let's just say if it were close, he would be the type of guy that and he is the type of personality that would really sway you. Just like everybody around him who's been around him loves him, is a bit freaked out by how high energy he is, but like gets to appreciate that. Um, he's like you said magnetic's the best way to put it he's just like a guy who's gonna make coming to work every day more fun for everybody and that's important uh, uh, so yeah like I, I'm not gonna say I have a huge new insight into him after sitting down with him for uh, a few minutes but uh, you know as far as first rookie interviews go and I've done a bunch of them by this point that one was pretty good uh, and, and yes, the vibes were very good on the floor. Uh, I, I thought there was more to like than there wasn't, than there was to dislike. Uh, I'll start in the negative, I guess, <laughs> um, as I tend to do. Like you can see that the handling has to tighten up in order for him to fully maximize the vision he clearly possesses. So right now I can see where he'll be a great outlet passer or if he catches the ball on the roll or something like that, he might be able to make a great next pass. Uh, and I think that's where you'll see his passing more so than Scotty Barnes has the ball at the top of the key and is going to drive into the middle of the defense and make a beautiful play for another, uh, uh, for a teammate. So he'll need to work on the handle. I think he has to get a bit, I don't know if it's stronger or just more attentive in terms of working around screens defensively in order to make that versatility pop. Uh, So those were my two sort of negative notes from what I saw uh, in, in Vegas. 
but the vision is totally there. The ability to get his own rebound, to be active on the glass is totally there. The ability to push the pace is totally there. And the shot, like, yeah, not... You don't want to go from making one to an air ball, as he did, I think, in both of the first two games, one way or the other. Uh, so he'll need a lot more reps there, but it certainly looks like he's not afraid to take them, and he's a very willing student. So I, I think this year, like, I'm going in ex- hoping that he reaches, you know, fun bench mob type uh, reserve, maybe, like, guy six or seven in terms of minutes on the roster and that as you go into the second year that's when you're hoping that he really makes a leap uh but yeah i liked what i saw yeah he was he was cool he was a lot of fun um the vibes were not exclusive to him obviously delano banton is uh that kind of dude as well ishmael wainwright um i know we're we don't have a ton of time today uh, so I'll just open it up. The non-Scotty Barnes, non-Precious Achua division of Summer League, um, either on the court or off the court, um, what stood out to you about that group of guys uh, or, or a guy or two in particular? I mean, Wainwright is built like a brick shit house. It's very impressive. Um, I thought David Johnson's stroke looked pretty good. Um, he's, you know, played point or... or primary ball handler for so long uh that he he looked pretty good catching and shooting to me uh delano banton uh, i didn't get a great feel for him early on uh some i think the second game i saw the second game the raptors played which they lost uh a few just or you know young kid turnovers uh when you get to the rim and you're looking to make the kickout pass he just didn't see the help crashing down or, or getting in between the the passing lane so i think finding a role for him will be tricky at first saying that i expect him even though he's on the main roster i expect him to spend a fair amount of time with raptors 905 unless uh injuries hit which they invariably do uh and uh yeah, I think those were my main takeaways. Did I mention Malachi Flynn? He looks he looks good. Uh, the, the shooting percentage wasn't great, but he looked like a total pro, uh, a degree of organization that the Raptors didn't have elsewhere. Uh, definitely think he's ready for a, a bigger role. I agree, and that role is uh, clearly going to be there because depending on how you want to classify Goran Dragic and David Johnson, you know, only two true point guards on the roster in Van Vliet and Flynn. Dragic, obviously very capable yes. of playing point guard, but um, has tended to be somewhat of a combo guard, maybe because of roster construction more than anything. Uh, I kind of see if Dragic is going to play for this team, you could certainly start him at the two and, and keep some continuity with the, the Fred Kyle dynamic. Uh, and have Gary Trent as a floor spacer off the bench. I'm kind of leaning toward liking Trent as a starter better and Drogic off the bench to kind of help Malachi Flynn carry that load in the second unit. Um, you know, more of a, a Fred DeLon yeah. vibe versus uh, the Fred Kyle vibe in the starting unit. Um, that's, I guess that's my, I think we can probably pencil in Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, and Birch as four of the starters. Yeah. I think we can probably pencil in Flynn, 
Boucher and Achua as three of the reserves. And then we're looking at Drogic, Trent, and maybe a 10th man working their way in. Wow. Uh, do you have... Pardon? Did you mention Barnes? Sorry. Uh, no, he would be he would be the 10th. Yeah. Um, but I was going to leave it to you of Barnes, Trent, Drogic. You know, do you see... Do you have a preference for one of those guys starting? Do you have a, uh, a way you see it shaking out? My first look at it was, was having Drogic there. Um, because I still think there are there are ways to manipulate it so Flint is playing with Vad Vliet or Drogic of most course. of the time. Um, I think it just comes down to how they look together. I'm not bothered one way or the other by it. I know most of Raptors Twitter when I wrote that I thought Drogic would be char- starting. This was immediately after the trade. Um, they seem to have a preference for Trent and I think that's that comes down a lot to a getting some more shooting on the on the uh, floor, but also just having a polar picture of the long term vision for this team, and it sort of becomes I don't know if dispiriting is the right word, but it's not as enjoyable, I guess, if you know somebody who pretty much everybody agrees won't be here at this point next year, if he'll even be here the day after the trade deadline. Um, putting him in the starting lineup. But I, I think regardless of who starts, like all those, I, I don't think the minutes are going to change that much. I think Trent's looking at about 25 minutes a game. I think, you know, Drogic is going to be right around there and Barnes is probably at, you know, 18 to 20 or something like that. And I'm just making numbers up right now. And, and they're, they have to start the season without Pascal Siakam anyway. So uh, there's a lot of time until we get... You know, we can remember last year and we worry, you know, there's so much worrying about what things are going to look like when everybody's back healthy and it all works out. And those are first world problems that you might never get to experience. So not a big deal right now, I don't think. All right, Eric, uh, I know that you you have to bounce here. Uh, Final question, since you've got some some time off ahead and I'll probably be doing the pod without you at least once. Uh, Are you ready to move? No. Um, lots of stuff has to be packed away. Most of the paperwork stuff seems to be taken care of. We have a mover hired for next Tuesday, so that's exciting. And then I have two Jays games uh, after that, which is also exciting. Uh, I'd love to come. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Um. Wow. Awkward. Yeah. Uh, well, like I didn't get the tickets for myself. I'm in both just cases. kidding. I I didn't invite you on Saturday either. So. You jerk. Uh, With one of our colleagues, Thomas Drance in town. Ah, uh, who are they playing? Detroit. Ah, should be a win. But, <laughs> just uh, a god awful team. Yeah, if they lose that game. I'm gonna. I might need a third twenty five dollar king can. Yeah, I have uh, one of my games at least is against Baltimore, so similarly terrible. Hell yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, no, not ready at all to move. Uh, but it'll it'll work out. Uh, we have we have some carryover in terms of when our when we move into the new house and when we have to give up the apartment. So there will be some time to move smaller things, even if we can't get everything ready for quote unquote moving day. Cool. Um, well, I'm gonna let you get to that and get to the other work that you have to do. Um, thanks so much for listening, guys. Again, lots of post-summer league stuff coming over at theathletic.com. You can head to theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not a subscriber to the written side of the site yet. Um, I will be back at some point when there's stuff to talk about. 
Uh, or maybe even if there's not, maybe I'll do a solo mailbag or something while Eric's in the process of moving. Uh, and we congratulate him on that and look forward to tweets complaining about it. Uh, <laughs> Eric, uh, good luck with the, the work ahead. And thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, Blake. It's always a pleasure. See ya!